This is your favorite sports podcast on the official Moose's Mulligans website. You can see him putting it back in his stance right here and picking the club up like he's going to hit right down on it. And uh, he's picked out a landing spot that is a good 25 feet above the hole. Welcome back to Moose's Mulligans with me, your host, Alex Dreisek, on your favorite sports podcast for Money Talks and BS Walks. No way! Make sure to check out the show at facebook.com slash Mulligans, twitter.com slash Mulligans, and our official website, moosesmulligans.weebly.com. That's where you can check out some of the articles I'll be talking about today and the future ones coming up, also a link to all these episodes. Speaking of articles, let's talk about the latest one I wrote here to open it up. It's called The Eye of the Tiger. And with the Masters going on, obviously it's a little reference to Tiger Woods. Now the cover image also has Tom Brady on it, which we'll get to in a second. But with the Masters and the NFL draft going on, I started with the Masters first. Going into Sunday, Tiger Woods is 4 over. And by the time the show's done recorded... Uh, his score will probably have changed by then. But the the whole point was that I wanted to bring up that I've been getting a lot of questions sent into the show about the NFL draft and the Masters, and the most relevant and the most common repeated topic is Tiger Woods and the New England Patriots. And I wanted to ask, why is that? Why Why are they the ones being asked about the most? Now, I know before you start yelling at me, these team, these, well, Tiger is himself, but Tiger and the New England Patriots have had that long, long success that I've talked about before. And before you start yelling at me that Tiger has been terrible for multiple years now, that may be true, but even the slightest sign of him being old Tiger again had you guys so wound up. Twitter was blowing up just the fact that Tiger was close to the lead. Everyone says, like, run to your TV, Tiger's golfing. So, what I'm getting at a little bit is that we expected Tiger Woods to be, like, immortal and win 20 majors, at least, through his career. And when he fell off the leaderboard, we kind of buried him for it. And I'm guilty of this as well. Now, even a glimmer, just a little glimpse of the old Tiger coming back out, gets us so excited to watch golf again. And the first day, the first day I'm watching the Masters, the link on the Masters website said, watch Tiger's first round live. Didn't say, catch the main groups. No, watch Tiger Woods' first round live. This guy still owns golf. 
He's shooting four over at the Masters, and he still is must-watch TV. So he is the face of golf still, and I think that's so impressive, and I think we need to embrace that. I keep saying to embrace greatness. That's pretty great right there. If you can be gone from the game for three years and come back and be the most important face still, it, you're something else. You're on a different level. Now my joke is if he ever wins again, he's going to break Twitter. But that's not the point of this discussion. The point is that Tiger Woods has a game plan that no one else could execute. He could just dominate that game plan for years and nobody could keep up with it. So then he dominated the sport. And I've been saying it a lot, but we do need to appreciate that. Enjoy Tiger Woods playing. Don't expect too much in this comeback. But it's really fun to watch a legend get his footing back on the course again. Speaking of legends, you know I love talking about Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. And that's the second part of this article, is the 2018 NFL Draft. Now, I think the Patriots are already the winners of this draft. I don't even care what they do at the draft now. And I know saying that pisses a lot of people off already. But hopefully not as many as before, because you read my article before this about why we shouldn't hate consistent excellence. So... It's getting ridiculous how good the Patriots are at drafting. Like, ridiculous. Getting Tom Brady at the 199th overall pick is going to be very, very hard to top ever. Ever's a long time, but I mean, pretty hard to top. But they've made good moves once again. Every year they seem to make good moves. So last year the Patriots traded their 32nd pick overall and a third rounder to New Orleans for Brandon Cooks. They got great production, by the way, on a very payable rookie contract. And then, with Cooks on the last year of that contract now, before they have to pay him, they ship Cooks to the Rams for the 23rd overall pick and a 6th rounder. So before they have to pay Brandon Cooks big money, they move up in the first round this year compared to last year, still get a 6th rounder back, and got a whole year of production from Brandon Cooks that left them one game away from a Super Bowl championship. That's well done. Tip of the cap. And the Patriots don't waste these picks they get either. They're very, very, very good at drafting people that fit and can thrive in their system. They're also very good at acquiring draft picks that, and then using all those picks they acquire to make their team deeper and stronger. This year they have two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a third-rounder, two sixth-rounders, and a seventh. I said that that's some good stuff right there for Bill. Now, they have a plan, and everyone on the team is supposed to get their job done. And if everyone does their job, then that means the plan was followed, and they probably win a football game. This is, this is where I'm going to start throwing some shade. The New York Giants don't look like they have a plan to me, and they should be paying attention to what's going on in New England, because they haven't paid OBJ yet, and they haven't traded Odell Beckham Jr. yet, so I'm, I'm a little confused. Either you pay the man right away and say he's the face of your franchise. Or you trade him. And you get what you can from the draft. Now they're being greedy with this a little bit. But so far you've done nothing. And from what I've heard, Cleveland, well, the Cleveland Browns who have been watching the Patriots from what I've seen, they offered them the number four overall pick and a second rounder for that star receiver. That's absolutely perfect for the Giants. I, I, I've, 
if you're looking to unload him, that's perfect. Now, if, in case the Giants didn't know, Eli Manning's getting older. They're going to need a younger quarterback soon. Now, before you yell at me that the Giants have the number two overall pick to take a quarterback, let me talk first. So, first of all, wouldn't Josh Allen be an awesome fit? I've been pushing the Browns to take him and let Tyrod Taylor serve as a bridge, but the same thing could be said for Eli Manning. Tell Eli he's been the face of your franchise and led you to two awesome Super Bowls, and now we need you to help carry on your legacy to the next guy. But, how awesome would it be to not just have Josh Allen, but to also take Saquon Barkley to run behind Josh Allen, or Quentin Nelson to protect Josh Allen on the O-line? It's hard to give up a superstar like Odell, but if you're not willing to pay him, then you have to go this way. This is the way you have to go. Just ask the Baltimore Orioles about that with uh, Manny Machado and Zach Britton, who they're still sitting on, and you start to rot from the inside. Either way, I'm super excited to see the NFL draft. Um, my Browns have a lot of good picks last year, and hopefully it carries on to this year. Uh, the Giants fans will be on pins and needles after a horrific season last year. And guess what? I'll be watching the New England Patriots. I'll be taking notes on everything that they do once again, like I've been doing for a long time now. All right, the third topic for the show this week is about a future article I'm going to be working on here. And I wanted to bring it up to get your guys' opinion so I can contribute it into the article. And it's a more personal topic for me. So it's going to sound a little more passionate, and I'm apologizing ahead of this because I'm still living through it. So part of the show that I love so much about it is, you know, I've admitted to being a student athlete, and it sounds terrible to say it that way. Like, I'm admitting to this terrible thing, I'm a student athlete, which means it's like crossing the line. Once you admit you're a student athlete and you're doing something like this, like a YouTube channel or this podcast or a radio show, then you can't take endorsements because you're using your name as a student-athlete, apparently, to gain or get some kind of advantage over the other student-athletes. Now, there's an in-detail talk on Mark Packer's show that if you look back at uh, our special edition episode, NCAA, the gray area, that we went really, really good in details about, like, look, if a student-athlete works hard, and is doing more than other student-athletes, like me recording the show, or the kicker from UCF having a YouTube channel, they should be allowed to do it. And they should be allowed to reap the rewards of their hard work. But it doesn't seem like the NCAA cares about that. There's this weird, weird fairness play going on. They don't want recruiting violations, but I hate to tell them they already have crap ton of recruiting violations but that's not what I want the article to be about what I want it to be about is when a student athlete is at a school and he wants to transfer this is the hardest thing for a student athlete to go through so usually transferring will be either just because it was a bad fit the kid left high school went to college and now that he's living there it's not going well or the one I see a lot is a coaching change. Jimbo Fisher has agreed to a 10-year, $75 million deal. I've always 
admired Texas A&M from afar and appreciated what it had. When this job opened, uh, Willie Taggart's name was the first name and really the only name that came up on Florida State's list. My 16-year-old son, he said, uh, Dad, I know this is your dream job. And he said, um, you always tell me to chase my dreams. When you have that opportunity, uh, you, you can't pass up the opportunity to come to the premier program in the country. He's had a lot of success with quarterbacks, and that is something that Florida's going to need in the future. He's going to do a great job recruiting. Oh, yeah. He's going to bring the big names, and the Pac-12 should be worried. Uh, I believe football's about three things. I think it's about relationships, friendships, and championships. This is home, and I can't think of anything more rewarding in my career uh, than turning this place around. He's a young coach that, uh, that has proven a lot already. Unbelievable hire for Nebraska. We're approaching double digits in the number of coaches who either have been rejected by the Tennessee fan base or said no to Tennessee themselves. That disaster that's been the Tennessee football coaching search, it's ending. Ball's finalizing a deal with Jeremy Pruitt. I'm going to give you one word, you're going to attack. We're going to be a team that is going to not allow the other side of the ball to dictate the tempo of the game to us. We're going to dictate what we do. They put up tons of points, they put up tons of yards. He is a ball coach. Old Miss is a destination job. It's not just my dream job, it's a destination job. And I am truly, truly honored. Football ignites my soul. That's what makes me go. This is what I do. Oregon didn't have to look far for their next head football coach, the Ducks co-offensive coordinator, Mario Cristobal. An overwhelming amount of the Oregon players signed a petition that said they wanted Cristobal to remain the head coach. Recruiting and retaining is our top priority. We're coming. We're coming fast. We're coming at you. The Jets fueled up and we're ready to go. Because coaches don't have to sit out. <laughs> Let me get a little more detail here. It's just a little unfair for me to look at it as a student athlete and see that a coach can just go wherever they want and get a contract to make money for what they're doing and not have to sit out a year for leaving. I was, you know, we were talking about it with Tubby Smith, how he said student athletes that transfer are quitters when he's quit his job five, six times already. And it's okay for him to quit his job because then he doesn't have to sit out a year. He can go to another program and restart. If you sign up on your national letter of intent, and let's just say you're a football player and you love the offensive coordinator and you really like him and you think it's going to go great, and then you graduate your senior year, you're getting ready to go to the summer, you know, have summer practices for football, and your offensive coordinator signs with another university and is gone. He's just gone. You still have to go to school. You still sign a national letter of intent. You are committed to playing your first year there. And not only that, if you don't redshirt, then you're committed to sitting out another year to transfer in the same division. So you're at a Division One football program. You haven't even walked in the door yet. You've already committed two years to that program. And that program's committed nothing to you. There needs to be a way that when student-athletes aren't given what they signed up for, 
they can go somewhere else or do something different. I have kind of an out there idea. It's a little out of the box, but when you sign your national letter of intent, I think we should make that a little bit longer. Let's make that not just one signature and you sign two years of your life away. How about we make it, I'm signing on, and you write which coaches were there when you were there, what you were expecting from the program, and then if you don't see it, if you don't like it, you can go to a board full of not just coaches, but student-athletes and NCAA personnel and appeal. They can look at your notes, look at what you signed on the National Letter of Intent, and compare it and say, well, yeah, this kid signed up for this pitching coach, and this pitching coach left. This kid signed up for this manager, and he got fired. And this new guy doesn't fit what he's described, or, you know, this is not what he signed up for. You see that in jobs. Look at the look at the head coach of a, of a football team. If he doesn't like the way the program's going, he either quits or he gets fired. But he's not stuck there. And the same thing, it's it's a little far to go this way, but I, there is still relations to this, is marriage. I mean, if you don't get what you signed up for, if you don't get what you proposed for, they, people get divorced. It's part of life. And it makes it so difficult in the NCAA for a student-athlete to go through this. Not only is it hard to transfer classes, it's hard just to get back on the field, to get back on the court, you know, to get back in the pool, whatever sport you're in. I don't care. The transfer rules suck. There's got to be a better way to do it, and that's what I want to hear your opinion on. I'm going to write a great article on it. I'm going to start chipping away at that now for you guys. And me being a transfer athlete that's fully willing to talk about it, I think we're going to have a good time with this topic. But until the next show, remember facebook.com slash moosesmulligans. Give us a like. twitter.com slash moosesmulligans. Give us a follow. Go to moosesmulligans.weebly.com. That'll take you to everything you need to know about the new articles and all the new episodes. That's moosesmulligans.weebly.com. And remember, this is where money talks and BS walks. On your favorite sports podcast, I'm Alex Dreisek. We'll see you next week.